Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river and really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Do you not know, brothers, and again, a word about gender-exclusive words in the text, uh, because especially in um, Paul, Paul uses the words brothers often, but it's clear later on in the text, especially at the end, when he's giving greetings to specific people, that when he uses this particular phrasing, he means the church. It is not specifically male-oriented, it is to the church. So it's uh, perhaps the uh, common day occurrence would be for us to say, you guys, us guys, when we're talking about a group that includes both genders. So when you hear brothers, here in this section, you see it even on the screen, um, that it's brothers and sisters. But if you ever see that in the text, uh, there are conditions under which it's gender exclusive. This is not one of them. For I'm speaking to men or people who know the law, that the law has authority over a person only as long as they live. For example... By, a law, by law, a married woman is bound to, her husband, bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from law, so that we serve in a new way of this, in the new way of the Spirit, and not the old way of the written code. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A couple of years ago, I think it was just over two years ago, some of you may remember, Troy, all of a sudden in the fall, my son Troy, my youngest child, showed up in church with a cast on his right arm after we made a trip to Michigan for vacation and to drop Katie off at Calvin during the summer. And what had happened was that at an aunt and uncle, he um, got upon that evil 
condemned horrible thing called a skateboard. And uh, he and a couple of the cousins were out um, skateboarding around in, on the street and in the neighborhood. And um, of course, he did one of those skateboard falls that so often kids and people who skateboard do, and he came in to show us uh, what was causing him pain, and it's a little disconcerting when the arm doesn't go like this, but it's at a rather different angle, and so we ended up going to a hospital in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and he getting surgery, but if you know my son Troy, Troy is, he's, he's 10, he's, he's very active, he is an athlete on, on many levels, and he loves doing all things boy. That's maybe a good way to phrase it. And so for the next about three months, and that three months fell during soccer season, and if you also know my son, that's a big deal, uh, he was limited not being able to play because the rules of his particular soccer league is that if you have a hard cast, you can't play at all, um, which caused him great consternation and frustration. In fact, uh, a cup, one time he showed up at the orthopedist's uh, appointment for the, the checkup, and he had a soccer shirt on. And this person, who frankly had a really bad bedside manner, said to Troy, you're not playing soccer, are you? Because you know that that's wrong. And he got tears streaming down his face. Because A, he wasn't playing soccer, and B, he wanted to so desperately. He wanted to be freed from this thing which prohibited him from being who he is, who he really is, and he wanted to do all the things that Troy does, that a boy does, that a person like him can do, and he couldn't. And I'll tell you, it was really interesting. Uh, I think he got his cast off on a Thursday. There was a game on Saturday for his team, and he showed up at the game. And I'll tell you, you want to talk about the a bounce in a child's step. Because all of a sudden, on a soccer field where he fell, feels so at home, he could be who he was supposed to be. He was living now into this freedom of no longer being bound by that cast which prohibited him from playing his sport. Now, a little aside, his orthopedist said after the cast was off that he need, couldn't play soccer for another six weeks, but I don't necessarily agree with all doctors all the time, so uh, Troy didn't either. Ended up to be fine, and um, he continues to be a healthy young boy. That's what we're talking about here in Romans chapter 7. We're talking about being free from the bounds of something that limits us, prohibits us from being who we really are. And Paul is addressing that again. And he, he, if you've been here for all this sermon series, you hear this over and over and over again in Paul. These, this old identity versus the new identity. The old identity that we talked about last week of death and sin and the new identity of life and hope. 
And he wants the Romans and he wants us to be aware that now, because of Jesus Christ, a bond has been broken to sin. And now the cast has come off and we can live into who we really are, really are called to be in Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit. He wants to strengthen his assertion about Christ being this new master. Last week we talked about slavery. This new master for those who are now a part of God's family. So he addresses the power of law for those in Christ. He wants the people of Rome and he wants us to understand the power of law in our lives before and now what that power is in Christ. Now, it's Paul writing this. Remember who Paul is. Remember where he came from. Paul was a, well, for lack of a better term, a religious ruler. He was one of the elite. He was one of the, well, they weren't, he wasn't a a, a zealot because a zealot is a different thing in the Jewish context, but he was certainly zealous for Judaism. And because he was zealous for Judaism, he wanted to make sure that anything that was counter-Judaism, at the beginning of his introduction into the text, that he would fight against it because in Judaism, what's the primary focus? The primary focus is on the power of the law. And so for Paul to write this stuff, about being freed from the power of law through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is especially poignant because this had been his DNA. This was who he was. This was his identity. So for him to write this, we can recognize that something has really changed. You know how you see somebody and they walk through life and maybe there's a lot of negative things in their life and then you see a change uh, or they talk about a change in their life. They say things are going to change now. You don't really believe that there is a change until you see that playing itself out in their life and in how they live. We can see that in Paul. We can see that the Spirit has been present, transforming him, moving him towards an understanding of grace, the power of Jesus, the power of the Spirit in his life to love, to have hope in Christ and not have hope in the law. And he wants that sort of transformation for all believers. He wants all believers, both Jew and Gentile, to be released from any idea about your behavior being the governance of how you interact with God. So when we hear Paul say this, it's poignant, it's powerful, and at least should give us pause. This is a big deal. This is something that the rubber meets the road and somebody has been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should take notice and listen. And it's also interesting that Paul uses in the first part, the first three verses of this chapter, the illustration from marriage that he does. And it certainly helps us understand the law's power unto death. 
It helps us understand when we think, oh, certainly a marriage contract or a marriage understanding is until death, at least in terms of its, its, its power. The particulars, I mean, not everyone who would say, you know, my spouse died, they, they would say, oh, I want to be re- remarried, but they wouldn't be prohibited from doing so under law. However, if they did so, remarried or engaged with relations, in relations with somebody who was other than their spouse before that death, then certainly they would be considered an adulteress. Paul's bringing that up, but it's even more than that. It also describes a radical, life-altering shift as anyone who has lost a spouse knows. You know what it's like if you've lost a spouse to all of a sudden wake up one day and realize, wow, everything is different. Everything has changed. What my understanding of life was before is now in many ways gone. It's been altered radically in a way that it will never go back. That person was such a big part of my life. If you're Facebook friends with Marlene Heckman, you know that it was one year ago that Sid died. And she reflects on that even this past week. On how not having Sid in her life physically anymore alters her reality in a very, very big way. People who've gone through that know what it's like to have this sort of shift. And this shift from from what was the old way under law into the new way under grace is that sort of shift. Paul's bringing that out clearly in using this type of illustration from marriage. It's radical. It changes everything. He's making it clear that through our union with Christ in his resurrection, that our whole world has radically changed. Everything is different. But truly, as we understand it, isn't that the power of grace? As you talk to someone who is a fairly new believer, who's truly living into the grace of Jesus Christ that God has shown in their lives, they will tell you just how much of a shift that is when they wake up in the morning, what they think, what they do, what they feel about things that maybe they've done for years and years and years. This is a radical shift and move. And certainly it takes time for all that grace to take root and show itself in our lives and in our behavior and in truly all the things that we do. But if nothing else, the heart being changed, or the mind being changed is that radical change that grace does in God's people. That's God's power in our lives. And if you know the power of grace in your life in any way, if you can name it in any way, it means that God is at work doing this shift in you. God be praised. It's, it's interesting when we live into that change, how it affects even our perception of things, how we look at the world around us, how we engage in the life that God has given us. I was watching, I don't know if you've ever seen, um, uh, there's, there's a, a program that uh, revisits some of these extreme races that have happened over the last year. And there's one in particular, there's a bunch out there, there's one called the Tough Mudder, uh, there's a race called, or a bunch of different races, this one's called 
called the Spartan race. Has anyone ever heard of the Spartan race? Spartan race is simply this. Spartan race is like a 10K or even a marathon under extreme measures that half or not halfway through the race, but at different spots during the race, you have to do some sort of strenuous activity. So you may be um, at the bottom of a, you know, like a, a 15 or 20 degree hill or some steep. I don't even know what steep is, but I, 45 degree angle hill. And at the bottom, they have a rope tied to a cinder block. And you have to drag that rope and that cinder block that weighs about 30 or 40 pounds up to the top of this hill, which is maybe 300 yards, and then drag it back down again. Or maybe you'll have to go to a station where there's a whole bunch of gravel and take one of those like Home Depot buckets, paint buckets or whatever, and fill it up with 50 pounds of gravel and then carry it for a quarter mile up a hill. So you can imagine the sort of race that it is, very strenuous, big deal, takes a lot of energy. There are plenty of people who don't finish, and it's certainly one of those sorts of races that when you uh, run it and you can uh, finish it, there's uh, definitely an emotional and physical satisfaction from having completed it. On this show, they were showing all the different athletes, and they were showing the professionals, and the professionals are like psycho crazy. They can do things that I can't even imagine doing. Well, I probably could. I'd show them up. Uh, No, actually, that wouldn't happen at all. I'd be horrible at it. Um, But then they also show the amateurs. And one amateur that they did a whole little biography of uh, over the course of a couple minutes was a young man in his mid-20s. I don't remember his name. doesn't really matter. Um, at least to the story, matters to him. But he's, he, they tell the story of this young man at 18 years old. He's from Florida. And at 18 years old in Florida, he uh, was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Had nothing to do with the activities that were going on, but because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, he ended up being accused, and he was charged, and eventually he was convicted of murder. Something that he hadn't done. This was when he was 18 years old, and now at this point he's in his mid-20s. And what had happened before this Spartan race is about six months before, finally, all the appeals, all the requests for DNA analysis, all the other things that he had been at work while he was incarcerated doing and his family had been helping him with, finally they figured it out. Finally, they figured out who really did it, and they released him from prison, as the, you know, the authorities usually do, with an apology, we're sorry we took away seven years of your life. And this guy is doing the race, and he's doing these insane things. He's, he's, he's taking the gravel, he's dragging the brick, he's climbing up walls, he's doing the rope climb, which is like the worst thing in the world in gym class. You know, you do, you do the rope climb. He's doing all these things and he's doing them well. He's not a professional, he's not at the front of the race, but he's, he's doing them well. And they ask him, you know, what's so special about doing this? And he said, all these other people here don't understand. I can go through this. I could even break my leg. I could get injured. I could, I could even do something that would stop me from physically being able to do something like this in the future. And it wouldn't matter to me. Because right now, I'm on a hillside in Vermont running where I want to go. Doing what it is that I feel I'm supposed to be doing. I'm living the free life, 
And unless you've had to ask permission to go to the bathroom from the guard who's watching over you, or unless you've had to wait to eat until the meal is prepared, unless you've had somebody tell you anything and everything that you can do at any time of the day, you don't understand true freedom. This day could be the worst race. It could be hailing or snowing, and it would be the best day of my life because I'm free. I'm free to be who I know I'm supposed to be. That's the call of Paul on us into a life of freedom. And the challenge that so many of us face, I know I face it, is that I don't feel free sometimes. I don't, maybe I'm burdened by my responsibilities. I'm burdened by the needs of my family or the needs of this church or the job description that I have or whatever it is. Maybe I feel burdened by, you know, the, the, the sin in my life. Maybe I feel burdened by relationships that aren't going to go well. I don't always know freedom. And what Paul is saying to us, you have been given victory over the bondage of sin in your life. That's already done. It's a now statement. It's an is, present tense statement. And the challenge that so many of us face is that we get distracted from that present tense statement of freedom given to us through the death of Jesus Christ, so much so that if you ask us, do we feel free, we can't even answer yes. We're still, we're still in that place of bondage in our own unique way, many of us. And Paul's reminder here, especially in the second section of Romans chapter, the first portion of Romans chapter 7, reminds us, hey folks, this is already done. This is reality. This is who you really are. Verse 4 in this second section, contains a passive verse, or passive verb, sorry. It's that verb to die. When it says in the text, and I'm not sure what it said on the screen, you also died. That's actually not as good a translation as it could be. It might be better said, you were also put to death to the law. And that is, for us to understand, this is work that God did. Again, it puts the impetus on God's action in our lives. And we need to hear that. We didn't just die to ourselves or we didn't just die to sin. Christ did that in us. This is Christ's work, which means that if you know the grace of Christ, that activity even being put to death to the power of law is God's work in you. And then he contrasts Right after that, the two kinds of fruit that one can bear. One fruit unto death, that comes in verse 5. And one fruit unto life and unto God in verse 4. Now, here again, Paul is returning to this discussion of free will that we talked a little bit about last week, if you remember. Before, how we 
chose to live resulted in the sinful things of death. There were choices that we made, and we certainly would all acknowledge that if we are true to ourselves, that we made choices before Christ had his, his, his um, activity in our life that caused death, caused sin, caused that power in our lives. But now the reminder is that our free will is still active, it's still engaged, and we have that choice to live how it is that God calls us to live. Again, it's that whole thing, counter-reform fatalism that I talked about last week. If you didn't see it, maybe it would be good for you, and you can look it up in our archives. Our Our lives in Christ result in signs of the kingdom of God. And folks, I guess a good standard for us to ask of ourselves if we're asking the question, am I growing in Christ? Am I maturing in faith? Am I seeing, uh, am I seeing Christ at work more deeply in me? Is to ask the question, do you and I see signs of the kingdom at work in us? Are there things going on in our lives because what, of, because what Christ is doing in us that we can say the kingdom of God is growing through this? People are hearing words of love and hope. The Muslim world is being told that there is a Christ who loves them, who died for them and transforms them through his grace. Are we seeing that sort of work through, our, are we seeing that sort of work in our neighbors that they are seeing Jesus in us? I ask that question constantly of myself. It's one of the reasons why Kristen and I, we talk about it, that one of our ministries is sideline ministries. When we're in the sidelines watching games, when we're in the stands watching games, we want to be very intentional about seeing God's fruit grow, seeing the kingdom of God grow through the relationships that we have with others. We want to see that in our marriage. We want to see that in our children. Because that's an evidence as the fruit grows, as the kingdom of God is shown through us, that God God continues to be at work, and we are truly, as the previous section said, allowing him to be our master. And he uses that interesting turn of phrase in verse 6. Remember, he talked about slavery last time. We have been released from that slavery to sin through Christ. But we didn't exchange it for having no bounds at all. Instead, our bondage now is to God. And that's probably fairly unattractive to some people. Well, we're just exchanging one bondage for another. But remember, the fruit of the bondage of sin is death, pain, brokenness, all those things that we talked about last week. Now, the bondage to Christ brings life, hope, redemption. All those things that we long for and are evidences of the kingdom of God. We are slaves now to a new master. To a new master who does not interact with us because he wants to kill us. That would be Satan. That would be sin. But he interacts with us because he wants us to know life and love and grace and goodness. Creator God. The ties that bind us now to Christ are ties of hope, joy, grace, freedom, and life. These are the things that we know now. If you're looking for those things, if you are in a place where you don't feel joy, you don't feel hope, you don't feel grace, you don't feel freedom, you don't feel life, 
my hope and my prayer is that this community continues to grow into that sort of place because that also shows evidence of God's fruit among us. And that truly is where the kingdom of God grows through the ministry of the river. That's one of my longings for this community. And since our master's primary interaction with us is grace, we can grow into our service to him. Grace means you're going to mess up. You're going to get it wrong sometimes. You're going to make those mistakes. You're going to even backslide. You're going to go back to the things of death. But the grace of God says, I love you enough to accept you even if you make those mistakes. Actually, it says, I love you because you make those mistakes. I love you because you are mine and you always will be and I want you to grow. And so I'm with you redeeming those mistakes, those sins, those addictions. I'm redeeming those in you into new life. All right, six verses, so what? Well, first of all, we start with this. What you do, and listen to this, This is a powerful statement if you can internalize it. What you do this in this life is much less important than whose you are. Do you believe that? Put your hand up if you believe that. Put your hand up if you don't believe that. See, I think the second statement has power, or, or I'm sorry, that it's much less important what you, or let me step back. I think that it's important what you do in this life. But I think it's much less important than whose you are in this life. So hear me here. It means, again, that if you've messed up, if you've clicked on that site this week, if you have said those words this week, if you have gone back to that bottle this week, it means that if you've made that bet again this week, if you have done things that you know are disobedience to God's call on your life, that those things, they do have power. They do have impact. They do have consequence, certainly. We're never going to deny that. But for us to understand primarily that those things, all of them, regardless of even how powerfully systemic they are in our lives, powerfully habitual in our lives, that they do not ever overrule the truth that you are loved by the grace of God and Jesus Christ and that his blood covers all of those things regardless of how deeply ingrained they are in your life and that his power for forgiveness and redemption and transformation consumes those things, maybe not now completely in this life, but will one day consume them completely from your life, and you will live either now in this life or someday soon in the full freedom because the truth that you are God's in Christ overrules the fact that you also screw up regularly. 
That's the truth of the grace of Jesus Christ. Grace always overrules how messed up we are. And for us to always remember that, because so often we are consumed by guilt. We are consumed by this feeling we're not good enough. In Jesus Christ, you always are. Always, always, always. You're never not good enough to be in relationship with God through the grace of Jesus. We're free from the power of law doing the right thing. And now we live in the power of grace. Now the spirit present in us empowers us to bear fruit unto God. And we do so in the freedom that comes through the love of our master. This is something that Christ continues to do in us. And for us to live in our heads, in our hearts, in our words, and in our actions into that slavery to Christ is the call upon our lives. But this is our new reality. Everything has changed. Sometimes we simply need to acknowledge it. I don't know if, well, if you're a parent, I hope you remember this moment. Remember that moment when your firstborn was born? Not the moment that the birth happened. Some of you moms certainly want to forget all that. Um, but the, uh, the time, maybe it was a day or two later, when you, you, were, you were or your, your spouse was wheeled out to the edge of the hospital and the car was pulled up and you took the baby seat into the car and you clicked it in and you buckled up your seatbelt. Well, some of you were pre-seatbelt, so I'm sure you held your baby in the car, which terrifies me, but whatever. Um, but you all of a sudden get home, and you walk in the door. And maybe you thought it yourself, or maybe you looked at each other, and you thought this. Oh, my dear sweet goodness. What have we done? We're parents. We're responsible for this thing. We actually have to care for it now. What do we do now? Anyone remember that moment? I do. I do. I can point out to you the apartment in Michigan that I walked into and realized, because Kristen was exhausted, of course, she went, and I said, I'll watch the baby, I'll watch Katie, a little while and she took a little nap and I remember thinking as the baby's on the floor and laying beside Katie on the floor she's so small so little she's asleep thinking I'm a dad what do I do now in Christ we have that moment except it's a moment where I live in grace. Before I was in something else. I was under law. I was under obedience. I was getting everything right. But now this thing happened. And because this thing happened, all of a sudden I'm looking at this world with new eyes and new ways thinking, what do I do now? Everything is different. 
You remember, you don't just go out. I, don't, I, I couldn't just go out and play basketball with my buddies anymore. You couldn't just do things easily anymore. In in place where there's winter, going to the store is an ordeal with a baby. Going to the store with a, a baby here is an ordeal. Everything is new. Everything is changed. Everything is different. And under grace, in our lives, in our realities, in our present moment experience, everything is new. And even if that moment of transformation happened 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, your today is still made new in Christ. Today is the day that you came home from the hospital with this new life and now you ask the question what do I do now and what we do now is live into this new life through the power of the spirits present in us it's claiming it I claimed fatherhood I am a father it's what I am and I claim gracehood. I am a person under grace. It's what I am. Would you pray with me? Living God, may we live into that grace, hope, life of Christ that we have been given. May we live into that new identity, putting away what is old, what is dead, what is lifeless in our lives and living into the newness, the beauty, the creativity of the spirit and your grace in our lives. Lord, may we live into that. May we embrace this identity of gracehood. May it be who we are every moment of every day. May that govern us. May we truly be a faithful slave to our new master, trusting that because our new master loves us and is good and is gracious and is quick to forgive, that we will grow. We will grow in our service of you. We will grow in how we serve you and your kingdom. And we will see our lives and the world around us change. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.